steaming through the book of 1 Corinthians, and then we did a Christmas series, and then we did a prayer series, so I'd like to finish it. We're in chapter 15, and finish this study in the book of 1 Corinthians to a church that had some troubles, and Paul was writing to them about getting things right and getting going in ministry. So we're going to finish our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want us to start with, uh, oh man, this is two weeks in a row I did this, that I forgot I needed to announce and pray for a family uh, <laughs> study of 1 Corinthians. But first, I want you to think about preferences. Preferences. You have preferences, right? A preference is a choosing of or special liking for one person or thing rather than another, right? That's the definition of preferences. A choosing of or special liking for one person or thing rather than another. So give me some interaction on this. Do you prefer black coffee or some kind of cream in it? Give me my black coffee, people. How about the cream... And the real foo-foo-y creams. Yeah, I'm with you. I like, I'm not, no shame. I like those flavors. All right, you prefer it, right? Some like the black, some like the cream. Some of you, how many of you eat breakfast and no breakfast? Who's my eat breakfast people? Who's the no breakfast? Yeah, it's more than I thought. No. How about the, uh, this might not even be a thing anymore, but some people actually like to talk to somebody on the phone and some only like to text. Who likes to actually talk to people? On the phone, I actually want to hear a voice. I don't want to text. Who are my text only? Some people probably love text. Like, no small talk. We get to the point and we get it done, right? We got ice cream cone or in a dish? Who's the cone people? How about the dish people? I'm with you on the dish. I'm not, the cones just kind of take it or leave it for me. I like the ice cream. Uh... How many of you like to fly versus drive? Flying? Driving. <laughs> Depends on the number of toddlers in the car, right? That, that changes that. How many are hotel people versus camping? I'm a hotel person, rather just stay. Some of you just give me the camping. Yeah. How many prefer cold weather or hot weather? Who's my cold weather people? Just give it cold. Rather be cold than hot. How many is the hot? Give me the sun. Okay, we got a good mix, good mix. How many would rather go out to dinner versus eating in? Going out to dinner. I like to go out. How many would much rather just eat in? Eat in, okay. Same, similar movie theater versus just watching it at home. How many like the movie theater? It's kind of a waning one since COVID. You're like, why am I spending 100 bucks to go out? How many of the at-home people? Yeah, you got your own chair, the popcorn's pennies. All right, how many would rather drive or be the passenger? Who's the, I want to drive? I want to drive. How many would rather be the passenger? I often drive like I am the passenger. I'm looking here, I'm looking there. <laughs> Creates some problems at times. All right, how about, this might get some of our, our gamers. Who are, who's a Nintendo Switch person or an Xbox person? Nintendo Switch. Who's got the Xbox? All right, a few. And finally, Rams or Bengals? Rams? Bengals? 
Boy, there's a lot of don't cares out there, I think. Okay. I'm going Bengals all the way. You can't, can't root for the Rams. So those are preferences, right? right? There's not a right or wrong. I mean, we can argue and joke, but it's a preference. It's what you like. It works better for you. You enjoy something that way. It's just your preference. And it's yours, and you can have it. It doesn't really matter. Is faith a preference? Is faith a preference? Is our belief in Christ a preference? We started talking a little bit last week about some of the challenges that we are now in, in this stage of our world. We talked about being in the third culture, post-Christian culture, where the post-Christian culture is bent on deconstructing. It's anti, breaks down all faiths, creeds, to a very individualistic thing. And so in this cultural moment, faith is viewed as a preference. You prefer to follow Jesus. Somebody prefers Hinduism. It's all a preference. It doesn't matter. And the, the idea is, so leave it at home, right? It doesn't enter the public square. It doesn't need to influence decisions. It doesn't mean you need to talk me into it. If you like your ice cream in a dish versus a cone, you don't have to talk me into it. If you want to follow Jesus, you don't need to talk me into it. And so if it's just a preference, it kind of pushes it to the periphery. You can believe it. You can do what you want. Just leave it at home. It doesn't need to enter public life or change. So is that what faith is? Is that? Does it just one amongst the preferences? So I'm going to argue today, and the scriptures argue that that is actually not the case. Because there are things that are rooted in historical facts that are not preferences. It is not my preference to be a Dutch-German person. I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be Dutch-German today. That's where I'm going with. Way, 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 way back, something, something, Jensema, crossed from the Netherlands to Wisconsin. I don't remember even his name. And something, something, Wendorf came from Germany. And something, something, Knapp came from Germany. And I'm the product of Dutch and German people. That's not a preference. It's just uh, historical facts. You can go on Ancestor.com and there they are, right? They're just, just, they're just rooted in historical facts. I didn't choose that. I don't prefer it. It is. We could say, does America prefer not to have terrorism in the world so we have a war on terror? No. Terrorists flew planes into buildings on September 11, 2001. That's a historical event which launched a war on terror. It's not a preference. It's not something we just woke up one day and said, this is bad, we should stop it. Something happened. Historical events happened in time that alter events, that demand responses. So things that are rooted in historical, actual events are not preferences. They're events. How you respond to them is different, but it's not a preference. It's real, it's factual, and we react to them. Your ethnic background is historical. It's the story of you, right? World events happen. Someday there'll be stories written about, and then the pandemic came, and this was this. It's events that happened. So what we want to look at today, this is our point today, is that our faith stands in the historic reality of Christ. Not a preference. Not a preference. 
It's a reality that we've responded to. Our faith stands in the historic reality of Christ. So let's turn. We're going to do 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's, um, we're going to do verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And this is chapter 15 is just a fantastic chapter all about resurrection. So let's read through 1 through 11 and then we'll jump in. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Here's our passage. So again, we're looking at this. Our faith stands in the historic reality of Christ. So the first point, first few verses there, the first point is that the gospel is received and delivered as opposed to invented, embellished, made up, right? The gospel is received and then delivered. It's received and delivered. It's not invented. It's not made up. So the first verse there, he says, I would remind you. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Remind there is, I'm going to make it real clear to you. I'm going to make it very clear to you, the gospel that I preached to you. He's reminding them. Paul was there around 50 A.D. That's in the timeline. So he's reminding you. Paul's been there, and then he sent multiple letters back. He was there for about 18 months to plant this church. So he's writing back to them. They've gotten into some problems. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to make it really clear the gospel, the core belief of our faith, that I preach to you what you received. You see that language? It's delivered and received. I preached it. You received it. He says, in which you stand... So this is a foundation, this is the thing we're remaining firm in, in which we stand. And then he says, and by which you are being saved. I love that it's present tense. It's you're being saved. A lot of times we talk about when were you saved, and by that we mean when did you have that initial saving faith, when did the gospel come clear, when did you really grasp it. So that's not a wrong question, but we're meaning like the beginning moment. But Paul is saying, I'm writing to people who are being saved. You were saved at belief. 
You're saved in Christ now. You're going to be saved when you arrive in heaven. You are being saved. It's present tense. It's not past. It's not future. It's right now in Christ. You are being saved. You're in the process of being saved. And he says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. There's a little question there like, well, wait, does that mean if we let go, then we're not saved? And we... I don't think that's where he's going with this. I think he's going with this like, this isn't your case. But the idea, unless you believed in vain or believed in no point, it's maybe the idea when Jesus is doing the parable of the soils and he's talking about the, the, the sower scatters the seed and some falls on rocky ground and it springs up and then the sun comes and it's gone. It's the kind of belief that, yeah, that sounds really good, Jesus. And then, oh, but life's still hard, I'm out. That's kind of an, a vain, empty, like nothing happened there. I don't think it was really ever grabbed. It wasn't rooted. So I think that's what he's getting at. Not that, oh no, I let go and it's over. It's that, you know, you never really grabbed it. You never really believed. So you're holding fast. I'm believing this. I'm rooted in Christ. I'm being saved. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as in first importance what I received. Do you hear that language multiple times? I I preached it to you, you received it. I gave it to you, you received it. And Paul's saying, I didn't make it up. Did you hear that? He's saying, I delivered to you what I received. So Paul's saying, I'm delivering something. So I want to just show you the tight timeline on this. Looking back in history, I know our date's not quite perfect. We thought, you know, Jesus is born about zero, but really it's probably more like 2 B.C., 3 B.C., somewhere in there. So his death and resurrection's around 30 A.D. Jesus dies and rises from the dead. Paul has a conversion, 33 AD. I just want to see the tight timeline because things like myths and legends grow over decades and centuries. We're talking about tight. Jesus dies and rises again. Paul meets him on the road just three years later. He says this in Galatians. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Just three years after the events of the death and resurrection. The stories in Acts 9, we won't go all the way in there, but the, he was actually hunting down Christians, dragging them off to jail, and God knocks him off his horse with a bright light from heaven and a voice. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the person you're persecuting. So he blinds him, and he sends him to a guy's house named, uh, or he's at a guy's house, and then God sends a, one of his disciples named Ananias that says, you go pray for Paul so he can see again. And Ananias is like, you know, Lord, he's the guy trying to kill us. You know, you know that, right? God says, yeah, I know. Go pray for him. He's my, he's my guy. So this is in Acts 9.17. says, so Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Immediate commitment to Jesus. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So he went there to throw them in jail. Now he's spending time with them. Think of the questions he was asking. But then it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he's the Son of God. 
So this is not a long legend that Paul worked out. He didn't go away into the wilderness and come back with this crazy story. He didn't adapt legends that were years. No. Three years after historical events, he meets Jesus. He spends a little time with these disciples. And now he's preaching Jesus. The gospel is received and delivered. Paul receives it from Jesus. And he's immediately preaching it. So we need to see that. The gospel is received and delivered. It's not made up. It's not invented. It's not a legend. It's response to events that happened in a very short timeline. Second part is that the core of the gospel, the very core, the very, if you boil it down to some key elements, we see this in here. It's biblical fulfillment and historic events. What we're going to read in verses 3, 4, and 5 is a, is a creed. It's almost poetic. Each line starts with that, that. You'll hear that in there. And so it's something that was put together shortly after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection that the disciples could pass on to one another, right? They weren't carrying these with them. What we're reading wasn't written yet, right? This is pre-New Testament, these, the early church, so it's not even written down. So they had creedal statements. You can read one of the creeds in Philippians 2.5, There's another creed here. It's quick, it's easy to remember, it's easy to pass on. Put together within the immediate years following the events. So the core of it is biblical fulfillment, historic events. So three, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Here's this creed that he received. Could be those disciples at, with Ananias, told this creed to him. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So you see the two events? Jesus Christ died for sins. The scriptures foretold it. So you have two things there. Not only do you have a historic event, you have God telling in advance of the historical event, this thing is going to happen. So then when it does happen, you have a lot of credibility. So there's places, I'll do a couple of them, we're tight on time. The most famous one that talks about the death of the Messiah is Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, with his wounds we are healed. Did you hear that when Marty was reading that today? It was just amazing, right? He's pierced. Right through the side, crushed. Everyone thought he was being killed for his own sin, and even Pilate said, this man's innocent. So the scripture foretold it, and the events bear it out. So that he died, according to the scriptures. Next line, see it starts with that, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So there are historical events of the burial of Jesus, And the resurrection of Jesus. These are foretold by eyewitnesses. These are told by historians. And scriptures are foretelling them. Right? The same Isaiah 53. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Isaiah is written 700 years before. And Jesus is buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was a brand new tomb. He was a wealthy member of the Jewish council. So it's foretold and then it happens. Psalm 16 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, 
or let your holy one see corruption. Sheol is the realm of the dead. So this, this holy one is not sent to the realm of the dead, and his body isn't rotting in a grave, right? You will not let, that's a nice way, your holy one see corruption is, after you die and are in the grave, you begin to decompose. He's saying, you're not going to let that happen to this one. He's not going to be, his spirit in the realm of the dead, his body's not going to be decaying in the ground. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it's saying he's not going to be buried. He's not going to be in the realm of the dead. He's going to be with the Lord, and Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father. So you see that? Historical events with scriptures foretelling the events. And that he appeared to Cephas, it's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. And so Jesus appears to Peter, he comes running, and uh, then he also, that later that day, he appears to him locked in an upper room, and so there's these historical appearances by the, first, the followers of Jesus. And then I think that's the, that's the end of the creed. But Paul goes on. He goes on to add to it. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What's the point of that? You could interview them. When the Corinthians received this letter, enough of those 500 people could actually still be asked. The eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus were still living. Again, this is not legend. This is not myth. This is not written as a legend or myth. This is like, you know what? Go talk to them. Go talk to them. Luke tells us in the opening of Acts, he says in the first book, the book of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. There's a 40-day period where Jesus is showing up alive. So somewhere in that 40 days, there's a group of 500. We don't have that event recorded, but... Luke's telling us it happened. It wasn't just he appeared for a second and was gone. A 40-day period, multiple appearances. At one time, there's a group of 500 people that saw him alive. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. This is James, his half-brother. This is the James you read about in the book of Acts, standing up as the leader of the church. This is the James that wrote the book of James in your Bible. So he appears to his half-brother who before thought Jesus was crazy. You can read that in John chapter 7. They're making fun of him. It says even his own brothers did not believe in him. How many of you got brothers? How many, if your brother does anything of any kind of success, you're the first one there to taunt him and keep him down a few notches? You don't have to raise your But there's a brotherly thing, right? Yeah, and I, so if your brother, who's older than you, who never got in trouble... You're not going to let them get away with this. You're not going to let them get away with saying something they're not. Jesus' brother, James, who didn't believe in him, becomes the leader of the church because he saw him alive after he was killed. You don't just do that, right? Then to all the apostles. Well, who's that? Sometimes we forget that apostle means those who are sent so a lot of times we think apostles equal, apostles equals 12, 
Okay, throw Paul in there. But you remember, Jesus sent other people out. In Luke 10, he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them. That's an apostle. He sent them ahead of him, two by two. So there's at least 72 other people. So Jesus appeared to all the apostles. So he stops by and visits the 72 at some point or more. He just says, Paul just says, he appeared to all the apostles, all the people he sent out. So they get a viewing. And then last of all is the one untimely born. He appeared also to me. It wasn't like he was born in the wrong era. I often think I'm untimely born when I talk to the old school fishermen that talk about being able to walk across salmon in the nooksack. I'm like, ah, I missed my era. That's not what he's getting at. He's getting at like one who's sort of wrongly born. It's really, the, it's self-deprecating. He's like, I'm in this mix, but I persecuted and I don't even deserve to be on this list. Uh, I, I tried to stop Jesus. And so it's this kind of, I'm, I'm at the wrong time. I was the wrong one. But he still even appeared to me. So there it is. The core of the gospel is biblical fulfillment. I just gave you a few. There are many, many fulfilled scriptures in the life of Jesus and historic events that Jesus lived. Lots of historical evidence. He was died by Pontius Pilate. Lots of historical evidence that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. These are credible people that he was witnessed by his followers and by all the groups we just listed. It wasn't just one guy in the wilderness made up a legend. So that's why this isn't preference. I'm not preferring it. I'm responding to actual historic events that God foretold ahead of time. So the third one is third little part. This is not just a forensics class. The gospel is always about the grace of God. It's not just about historical events. It's what do those events mean? What do they mean? Paul tells us, verse 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. He's going back in this untimely born. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Did anybody start their journey towards Jesus as an opponent? Somebody thought this was ridiculous. This is stupid. I'm going to do my own thing. Anybody even be so bold to raise their hand? I was against God. I thought it was dumb. Nobody? Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. You're an opponent. This is ridiculous. And then you meet him. And you think, oh man, I blew it. No, it's not the grace of God. Jesus already paid for your rebellion. Marty talked about all that blood that dripped down <laughs> was victory. Blood. Right? So it's always, it's not just historical forensics events. We're not studying Jesus like we study Christopher Columbus and some other historical. No. It's that God entered history as man and died for our sins and rose again so that rebels and sinners can be saved. It's about the grace of God. And Paul's saying, I'm the worst one. I tried to kill Christians. I tried to squash this movement. And he called me. It's, 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 his grace towards me is not in vain. And what does he do about it? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's like, Once he realized that Jesus saved him, and he met him on the road not to crush him, but to call him to ministry, he said, I went all in. 
went all in. He says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He says, even my labor to go and plant all these churches and to suffer all that I'm to suffer is just because of the grace of God. He's so thankful, like Lynn talked about that for there. She just said, I'm just so thankful, and that he winked at me because it's for joy to save us. I think that's Paul. I'm so thankful. So he wraps it up. So then, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Again, that gospel is received and delivered. So the gospel is always about the grace of God. Not a history lesson, God working. So let's wrap this up here. Our faith stands in the historic reality of Christ. It's not a preference. It's not something I just prefer over other things. It's historical events where the Son of God entered history and died and rose again. And so that's what we're responding to. And that's why it doesn't stay home. That's not why we have to, you know, force and fight. But that's why it's not something that we can just forget about. We're in the public square. What do they say? We cannot help but talk about what we have seen and heard. You cannot help but tell your story of how the grace of God met you. It's not as a preference. It's that your story of receiving the gospel and delivering it. We can't help it. Let's do a couple applications here. The first one is that we need a, a deep and resilient faith. The host culture that we live in, because right, our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. But the culture we currently live in is hostile, corrosive. And so the, we can't expect the culture to support our belief. The word of God supports our belief, and we support one another, and we encourage one another, and we're deep in prayer. But we need to hang on to the gospel even deeper because it's being eroded. And it's hard to keep believing when you're under attack. It's hard to keep trusting when your school says that's all made up. Right, students? It's hard to keep hanging on when your coworkers don't like it. And it'd just be easier to leave it behind. So we need a deep, resilient faith. Let me, I have a couple more quotes from the book I quoted last week by Mark Sayers. And he's talking about this idea of a deep faith. He says, Researcher Margaret Wheatley discovered that even in the most dysfunctional and toxic of workplaces and environments, a certain kind of person and leader could be found. These people were not affected by their environments. Wheatley noted that their ability to thrive in caustic environments was linked to their ability to find a sense of meaning outside of their environment. Creative minorities, and that's what he's urging Christians to be, to be a creative minority, therefore not only survive, but learn to thrive in hostile environments. In a caustic, corrosive third culture, which causes us to question and doubt our commitments, we need extremophile disciples, right? looking to the outside. Disciples who are resilient. In the third culture, relevance must be matched by resilience. Deep roots and foundations will ensure resilience. When it gets really, 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 really hard, we remember this isn't a preference. 
We remember the resurrected Christ. We remember that we're believing things that have happened in time. We remember that God foretold them. We remember that this is the historical salvation work of God in the past, preparing for his future work, so we hang on. It's not just a preference. It's the truth, and that's going to hold us in there. That's why we need to just soak in God's word and encourage one another. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. I'm just doing a little... I will say with some of my neighbors, I told them I had this conviction not to go to bed with my Apple News feed, but to go to bed with Scripture. It's made a huge difference this last week. Right? He says he meditates on it day and night. If we're meditating on alarm, panic, horrible, terrible, alarm, panic, horrible, terrible, we're going to be a little bit freaked out. If we're meditating on the eternal Word of God, it centers us. That's right, we're going to make it and God has us. And so that's why we need that deep, resilient faith. And the other thing is we want a, goal, a bold gospel life sharing the grace of God. Not bold as in angry or forceful, but bold and I'm going to continue to live for this no matter what. But I'm sharing the grace of God, right? That's why I said it's always about the grace of God. I wrote this down because it was a good thought I had. I'm quoting myself. We would boldly pass on the gospel in a quicksand culture in need of bedrock for their life and meeting. When you look within and look within to find meaning within, the scriptures tell us that we're dead within. So if we look within and look within, we find death and death and death, and our culture is sinking with no bedrock, looking within, within. And we say, no, let's look without. Let's look to the grace of God that changes you from within. Suddenly there's something solid for your feet your identity in Christ. And if we can boldly live that out, people can see why is my life sinking and your life has bedrock. And we say, it's the grace of God. It's not me. It's the grace of God. So we want this bold willingness to say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is how he's changed me. And point to him and a culture that's sinking, it's going to be bedrock. So our faith here, it stands in the historic reality of Christ, not preference, history, fact. So I want you to take that with you this week and go, you know what, I'm going to hang on to this no matter what environment I'm going into, but also just say, I'm going to live out the grace of God. Point people to Jesus this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact of you. Help us. Our environment wants to say it's not factual, it's preference, it's preferred, it's legend, it's myth. And let us be anchored in the fact that you did these things, that you are alive, that history and scripture points to it along with our own testimony of how you intersected our own lives. Help us, anchor us. Let us live out your gospel. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.